Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome once again to our live Astros Rangers Game 7 postgame show. I'm sorry for the calmer tone. This is going to be more of a funeral, I think, but I wanted to thank everybody for checking in with us, the best Houston sports podcast. We've been around for 10 years. I hope you've enjoyed our Astros postgame shows. And uh, Robert with Stephen Kerr, he's with me on the in the other window over here. And 70 years of sports journalism between the two of us, over 100 years between the two of us as Astros fans. So, Stephen, we've seen all the disappointments over the years, haven't we? Yeah, we, we've seen the triumphs and the disappointments, Robert. And, you know, we were just watching, you know, at the end of the game, uh, the Fox broadcast and, you know, watching the Rangers celebrate. And I think I even said to you before we went on, well, that was us once. Uh, several, you know, more than once. But, I mean, it, at one time, that was the Astros who were celebrating on the field, either at home or in somebody else's ballpark. And, you know, Robert, I mean, that's just – this is what – happens in sports you take the good with the bad and look the Astros had a very up and down season and I think tonight's game epitomized the the weaknesses that kind of rear their ugly heads off and on throughout the season the pitching was erratic the hitting was erratic and the Rangers just they just came out and exposed pretty much all those weaknesses in this series despite that the Astros still had chances to win this series. I mean, more than ample opportunity to take it, and they just didn't. Yeah, it's it's sad because of what you left on the table, and you were so close at times. And uh, I, I just we're going to get to some comments, and please comment. I see you, Eddie, over there, and we'll get yeah. to you in a bit. Yeah, but but uh, look, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It is easy to be a little heartbroken after this, but what if I told you before the season started that you wouldn't have Lance McCullers or Luis Garcia all year long? You wouldn't have Jose Urquidy most of the year. Christian Javier would lose his fastball and look like a washed-up Dallas Keuchel with a 4-plus ERA this year. Altuve would miss 72 games. Jordan would miss nearly 50 Hunter Brown would be awful for half the season. Ryan Stanek had a nine ERA. The Astros would have spent most of the year behind the Texas Rangers. But in the end, in the end, they still beat the Rangers in the division. They still get to their seventh straight ALCS. Steven, ladies and gentlemen, how would you feel if that's what happened after all of this? Yeah, it'd be pretty hard to believe, wouldn't it? I mean, that's why you have to look at the positives. This team fights. You know, they they do not give up. I mean, even in the ninth inning, they were still trying to fight it out, being down 11-3. to Altuve, he didn't give up. He had a home run. That's what this team has done all year, Robert. It's been a next-man-up mentality. I know we use that term a lot. But that's what has to happen when you have so many injuries. And you were hoping that Michael Brantley would come back and it didn't look like it for, for a long, long time. You finally get him back. But at the beginning of the season, he wasn't going to be a factor. So there were so many guys out that you really needed. That the, the fact that they won 90 games, and that's pretty much where I had them, Robert. I'll have to go back and listen to our Astros preview before we did the season. But I was picking them to win around 90 games, 88, 90, somewhere in there. And I also said they are not going to run away with a division. 
which they certainly didn't. They didn't even win it until on the very last day of the season. So yeah, you factor all that in, it would be hard to believe that they would even get past, even get into the postseason, much less get to game seven of the ALCS. And listen, Robert, you and I both know, and I think most fans know, it is awfully, awfully difficult to get to the World Series three straight years, sometimes even two straight years. The Astros did that in 21 and 22, and they were on the cusp of doing it again this year. But it's awfully hard to do that. But they almost did it. Brandy said she misses Lance McCullers. We all miss him, unless yeah. you liked his uh, appearance when he ran out of the dugout <laughs> during the Garcia fight. But, yeah. uh, Stephen, I've got a bunch of notes from early in this game, but really the only thing that matters, I'm, I'm throwing all my notes out pretty much. Yeah. The only thing that matters is Christian Javier. He gives up two hits on 100 fastballs in the postseason before this game. Two hits on 100 fastballs. He gave up three in the first inning of this game. But this is really my key takeaway on Christian Javier. And, Stephen, I'm going to go back to what I've said all year. He looks like he has a dead arm if there's no real injury. He needs rest after the short season short offseason, I should say, last year, and that awful WBC that I insist devastated our entire starting pitching staff right after a very long regular season. I have, I've talked about this endlessly since the start of the year. Javier had two great starts in the playoffs. After what? After what, I ask you? A mm -hmm. long rest? That was yeah. what happened. He had a long rest, but tonight, Stephen, he was back on regular rest, and that was the key. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, Javier, I mean, it, it, you could say the dead arm, and, you know, but because it, it was obvious he just didn't have command at all. I mean, he only threw 23 pitches, and I didn't see the exact number. I know at one time when he was at 17 pitches, he had 10 balls and seven strikes, but you know, that was really the story of the first few innings, Robert. The Astros pitchers just, they could not find the strike zone, even if it was as big as the, the Minute Maid scoreboard. Yeah, there were some calls on the outer edges, and you know how these umpires are. They call some of them balls and some of them strikes, but they just had no command. And, and Javier, it did. It, it just looked like his arm was completely done, or, you know, that he was completely done. But you just wouldn't have imagined it the way he was pitching in the postseason. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's certainly a possibility you have to think. Well, he's certainly going to get his rest during the offseason now. Yeah, the other games in the postseason, like I said, he got a long, long rest. And Eddie says, what a disaster. I knew it was over when Javi couldn't get out of the first. Then instead of keeping it close, France implodes with Dusty. Dusty just sitting there. And, of course, no offense at home again. But was Dusty really sitting there? What, what did Dusty have? Let's go over this for a second. Dusty loses Javier after one out. He yeah. brings in Phil Maton to get out of the jam. And then what does he have left? Dusty was forced to throw out two rookie pitchers, and he, he brought in other guys. But both of those guys have tired arms. It's the biggest pitch load that they've had in any year of their entire existence. You can't throw out a 40-year-old Justin Verlander to go multiple innings after he just pitched three days ago. You risk ruining 
your ace, who's probably the only pitcher you can now count on next season right now. We don't know what we're getting from Javier anymore. We don't know what we're getting from Fromber anymore. Garcia's coming off of an injury. McCullers is coming off an injury. Urquidy's coming off an injury. I mean, France and 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 uh, Hunter Brown are, you know, they're, they're just getting started. We have no idea. Urquidy stunk in his only appearance in this series. So do you bring him out? No. Why? why, why what's the point of that? Bottom line is, the Javier disaster screwed Dusty. He, he couldn't do anything about this. There's other things we can talk about, but not that. Yeah, I mean, I think we even said, Robert, uh, so go the Astros in Game 7. So so go Javier, so goes the Astros in Game 7. I, I think we were convinced if Javier gave us a good performance tonight that the Astros had a chance to win, and he didn't. And, you know, to, to kind of emphasize what you were saying about a tired arm and things like that, even this postseason, you didn't get Javier beyond five innings. I think you had five and a third and one and, you know, maybe five in the other beside, you know, before tonight. So, you, you know, you couldn't even really stretch him out very much because he just started fatiguing out is what it appeared. So that is the thing. But, yeah, so goes Javier, so go the Astros in this game. And that's pretty much what happened. All right. Next thing. If you're there is a big dusty gripe, if there is one in this series, and, and I'll say this is a gripe for me anyway, it was the strange decision we talked about last post game when Dusty used Singleton with the bases loaded instead of Yonner or Chaz. And if you have a gripe about Dusty in the postseason, to me that's the one. And Stephen, we've heard a couple of quotes from Dana Brown, which sound like he's not exactly on the same page as Dusty all the time. The yeah. biggest question this offseason isn't re-signing Maldi or Brantley or Neris. It's that relationship. It's the relationship between Dana and Dusty and what happens there the rest of the way. And and, and the other thing about this, Stephen, is what, what I will point out to people that just, like, jump on Dusty, like, it, it, this is the easy, easy thing to do. Stephen, you just said it. The Astros went under Dusty to the seventh game of the ALCS, the World Series, they won a championship, winning in that in that season eleven to two in the postseason, eleven to two, and then we just went over all the stuff that the Astros went through here this year, still getting to the seventh game of the ALCS. You can go, I hate this dusty decision, I hate that dusty decision, but bottom line is, you can't hate the results. You can't hate what happens. You're not going to win the World Series every year, especially when you're beset by injury after injury after injury. And, and what he did in, in, in during the pandemic was ridiculous. I mean, they were terrible that year, and they still <laughs> almost got to the World Series. Yeah, no doubt. And listen, you know, when, you're, when you have the kind of adversity that a team like the Astros have had, that's where you find out whether you're a great manager or not. I mean, you can put the most talented team on the field, and that doesn't necessarily mean you'll win the World Series every year. But chances are, you, you know – it's a lot easier to manage a team that has all the pieces in place than it is when a bunch of your pieces are missing because of injuries. And you just, you've got to hand it to Dusty. I mean, the guy's a winner. He's a winner. Okay. He's only won world series and however, you know, several times that he's been there, he hasn't won a game seven. He's now zero and four, but come on. The guy is still a winner. He can still take a team to get to a point and, you know, after that, really, it's up to the players. And I just can't, 
I can't really fault Dusty for any decisions, especially this postseason. You know, a couple of minor ones like you talked about. You know, he, maybe he could have pulled France a little sooner and put Naris in, but would that have really made a difference in this game? I don't think so. So you got to hand it to Dusty, not only for this season, but he did what Jim Crane brought him in to do. First and foremost was to calm the atmosphere right after the cheating scandal happened. They needed a calm, steadying presence, a change in the culture, or at least a steadying of the culture. Dusty did that. He absolutely did that. And yeah, you know, they had an extra few playoff spots during the pandemic year. Otherwise, the Astros wouldn't have made it. But so what? They got there and they almost got to the World Series again. So I absolutely cannot say that Dusty is the reason that we didn't get back to the World Series this year. The other part about all of this with Dusty is be careful what you wish for, because look at what happened to the teams that Dusty managed after they got rid of him. One team after another have fallen apart as soon as they got rid of him. And you could say, well, maybe that's the end of the window. Maybe that's the argument there. And the window might be ending for the Astros, because let's be honest with all this, Stephen. Look at what we got going on the next year or two. Altuve and Bregman, this is their last year. The starting pitching staff looks to be in big trouble if Fromber or Christian Javier don't get it turned around on a – regular basis next year. I'm talking about they need to go back to the the Fromber and Javier that we saw before. Because I don't know if Lance McCullers, you you can never count on him, period. No. And Luis Garcia, who knows? I mean, and he's a fourth or fifth starter, probably at best. So to keep this window open, Fromber and Javier, you thought were the, the hope for this window to be going forward for the next few years because you knew you were losing Altuve. And you knew you're losing Bregman, most likely, those two guys. So, and potentially a couple of years down the road, Kyle Tucker, right now, I know all you want to take Kyle Tucker and throw him in the trash can. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, Stephen, I mean, that's the, that's the key here is, uh, you know, be careful what you wish, wish for with Dusty Baker, because this is what happens after teams get rid of him. Well, that's right. I mean, you go down the list. The, the Giants, the Reds, the Nationals, the Cubs. I mean, that weren't they the four other teams that Dusty managed before? And I might be missing one, but the, those were the teams. And yep, every single one of them basically went off the map for for a good while. Yeah, some of them came back, but it was quite some time later. But Robert, I mean, as I said, I, I've been thinking about this for a while, even before this series, and you know, just throughout the season. And I I really am not confident that Dusty is going to be back next year, whether it's his decision or Dana Brown and Jim Crane's decision. I mean, you think about it. He's 74 years old. And as you said, he and Dana Brown haven't, you know, some of the comments Dana Brown has made about the lineup, you know, throughout the season, talking about putting Chaz McCormick in more often, you know, Yonder Diaz should be getting more playing time. You, you know, that's, that's kind of a telling sign that they're not on the same page, as you said. And this is, you know, Dana Brown's first, he's completed his first full season with the team now. So it may be, you know, especially with the front office shakeups that, you know, have gone on uh, behind the scenes, it could be that Dana Brown is ready to bring his own person in as the manager next year. It, it very well could happen, and it would not surprise me if it did. Yeah, here's the other 
part of this whole equation with the Astros is, you know, it was Jim Crane that was so big a Dusty fan. And Dana right. Brown was a guy that he's hired, though, and he trusts. And so really the conversation between Jim Crane and Dana Brown is going to be very interesting because Dusty's an old school guy. Jim Crane is an old, you know, he he was talking about, I'm an old school guy. He likes some of the old school stuff, although, you know, he had all those years with Jeff Luno. But, you know, it's where do you go? Because Dana Brown, I don't think he's like, you know, just as analytical as Jeff Luno. But I also believe that he sees some of the flaws in some of Dusty's logic. I mean, yeah. just the whole argument to come out on, with the John. I'm going to go back to the John Singleton thing for a second, Stephen. His argument after the game was that John Singleton was a lefty and the pitcher had had so little success against lefties. The problem with that is when you have a lefty up there that can't hit Major League Baseball pitching, he's got years and years of we, we, we've experienced this enough to know that John Singleton just isn't good enough. The, the, there's holes yeah. in John Singleton's swing that just aren't good enough. As good as his eye is at the plate, which is, it's really good, but it doesn't work if you can't hit the mistakes once you get them. And well, the that's right. With, and he wasn't. And he and wasn't. The thing with, and the thing was early in the season that contradicts something that he said early in the season. This is where Dusty gets himself in trouble is he contradicts himself. It doesn't make any sense. He, his arguments yeah. are never that good. He said... Well, uh, earlier this season, he said Yonner can't hit lefties because he was hitting about 950 or whatever against righties with an OPS. Well, if he's so good against righties and he can't hit lefties, then why aren't you throwing him out there against a righty instead of John Singleton? A, a, a righty would have been perfect for him because you said it. He hit righties great this year. And I don't remember what he finished with, but he I know his numbers were really good against right-hand pitching. So... You know, it just some of Dusty's logic doesn't hold water a lot of times and his excuses don't hold water. And in a time where we're, we're judging this by are you paying attention to what's going on with these guys? And and and, and that, there's times where you just feel like Dusty doesn't. And, and, you know, it's a lot of times it's the old it's in, in his own way. It's remember, Jimmy Williams used to say manager's decision. That's what Dusty does a little bit too much. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess if you if you want to point one finger at Dusty, it would it would be the big picture types of things like what you're talking about. And, you know, numbers are a good thing and a bad thing. They can help you and they can hurt you. Well, uh, you know, the, the numbers don't lie with John Singleton. He obviously he's had so many chances, several chances with the Astros. He's had two chances with the Astros. He's had chances with other major league teams. And I, I know he had some problems some years ago with drugs and things like that, that got him out of the league and, you know, he's tried to come back and it's a great story. But the fact is, is he's gotten chances to make it in the major leagues and he's just not cutting it. So, you know, those numbers just don't add up. Uh, so there, there has to be a human element in there somewhere, regardless of how many analytics you go to there, there's room for both. And sometimes I don't think Dusty gets both or is able to use both effectively. Yeah, and and I, I got to just go back to the series for a second because, you know, people talked about Tucker and Pena, and, and, you know, it's worth noting Kyle Tucker was 66 for 40. I'm sorry, 6 for 40 in the yeah. postseason. Jeremy Pena, one extra base hit, 42 plate appearances. Mm -hmm. Not good, although incredible defensively. 
And we should not forget that. And you, you can't, you know, in the old days, you would just say, hey, that's good enough for a shortstop. Maybe these days it's not good enough. But still, Jeremy Pena, to me, was not the problem for the Astros. And maybe you're sad that you didn't get more from Tucker and Pena at the plate. But instead, we got to take a second here. And we got to remember that we just saw one of the most historic, one of the most surreal postseasons from any hitter that's ever lived, ever lived in baseball history. Jordan Alvarez hit 465 with a 1487 OPS, 1487 OPS. In 11 games, he was on base. This is 11 postseason. I'm just thought this isn't just the Rangers series. This is the whole postseason. Yeah. In 11 games, he was on base 25 times. Okay. He had six homers, six doubles, and a triple. And let me repeat, Stephen, 1487 in 11 Mm. games. That's huge. Man, that's huge. I was telling my wife tonight, I said, you know what? I'm so glad that this guy is on our team because I sure would hate to face him. (laughs) I mean, would you, who in their right mind wants to face Jordan Alvarez if he's not on your team? So we can thank our lucky stars, Astros fans, that he is on our team and will be for several years to come. Because, yeah, what this guy has done, not just this postseason, but, you know, he's, look at what he did last year. In the postseason, the walk-off homers, the the big hits, you know, and the just the, the number of hits that he's had. I mean, this guy's doing it multiple years, and he's battled through some injuries. Yeah, as you said, he was out, what, he missed 50 games this past year. But, man, when he's healthy, he is, he just is absolutely crushing it. So, yeah, what more can you say about Jordan Alvarez except I'm just so glad he's on our team and not somebody else's. I'm not sure what else to say about Minute Maid Park, but I guess we need to bring in some priests and have an exorcism. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, if there was an answer, Robert, somebody would have already figured it out and he'd be doing something about it. I I mean, I think it's one of those seasons, you know, hopefully it's just a season thing, but I don't know. It, it is the most curious thing I have ever seen that, you know, you you've got all you needed to do, Robert, if you won three games on the road, all you needed to do is win one game at home, one game in four tries, and you can't do it. You got down 2-0, you went to Arlington, you went back up 3-2, you come home, you have two chances, you blow them both. That is just absolutely, un- it's not unheard of because, I mean, it happened in 2019 in the World Series with the Nationals. Same thing, you're up 3-2, you got two chances, you lose both games and you lose the World Series. So. I, I just throw up my hands. I don't know what to say about the Minute Maid Park thing, except, God, I hope it's just a seasonal thing, and next year they'll just come back and play better at home. Yeah, the the 40-47 and 47 record I don't think will ever make sense this year. And I, I guess what's so frustrating if you're an Astros fan is for this to happen twice in a four-year span where you lose all four games at at home and win all three games on the road. And one of those was in a world series where you were the prohibitive favorite. Mm -hmm. And the other was against that hated I 45 rival, (laughs) Texas Rangers. 
Yeah, I think that's what, you know, for a lot of Astros fans, that's what really stings probably more than anything is you just lost to a Dallas team or, you know, Dallas area team, I guess, in this case. So that just makes it even worse, I guess. And I don't know. I'd like to find out now that the Rangers are in the World Series, are you going to cheer for them or are you going to root against them for either the Diamondbacks or the Phillies, whoever gets in after they play their game seven? I'd, I'd be curious to know. So put that in the comments too. Are you going to cheer for the Rangers now that they're in the World Series after they just beat your Houston Astros? You know what, Robert? I'm not. Go Diamondbacks. Go Phillies. I'm not cheering for the Rangers. Sorry, guys. Yeah, the other thing is um, I would love to know, put in the comments, would you rather lose to the Rangers like this or would you rather lose to the Yankees? Or the Red Sox, like what? Put them in order: Yankees, Red Sox, Rangers. Rangers which, yeah. Which three teams that you would m most or least like to lose to? Well, I could just say, you know, as far as the Red Sox and the Yankees, we we've beaten those teams before in the postseason, even in ALCS play. So yeah, you still don't want to lose to them, but I think it would sting much less to lose to either one of those teams than it is the Rangers, just because of just because they are the Rangers and in just the fashion that they lost. I, I think combining those things, it just stings a little extra. Yeah, here's what uh, Kyle said. He said, at least we get a discount on Fromber and Tucker. It's not a discount, really. It's it's basically, um, uh, it's basically that you, you're, they're still in, they're still in um, arbitration. So there's, there's right. no discount at this point. Right. Well, and even if it's a discount, I mean, they're still not being effective. They're, they're still in your lineup. They're still in your rotation and they're not doing the job. So, but I, I think, gosh, you know, I, I have more confidence in Tucker. I, I definitely think he's going to be okay. Now, Fromber has always been the biggest question is, you know, can he, and I said this the other day on the podcast, can he get the emotion out of his pitching and, work more on mechanics and focus. And, you know, we can talk about the pitch clock affecting him and the fact that he doesn't have the time to walk around the mound and take deep breaths and, you know, get himself together for the next pitch. But you know what? You've got to adapt. This is the way the game's going to be. It's not going to change now. The pitch clock is here to stay. So if it was that, you got to get rid of it. You just, you've got to figure it out. Was there anything that we didn't talk about specifically in the game, Stephen, that you wanted to bring up? Because I, I didn't go much into it because it just felt like there were, it wasn't worth getting into that mess because it just, well, there was nothing real good. No, really not. And I mean, I have to say, Robert, even when it was four to two and the Astros were still down by two runs, I, I just, I didn't feel good about it. I just didn't feel like they could come back. You know, normally they could, the bats are certainly capable of it, but with the way that the pitching just collapsed, and the hitters having chances in both of these games and even in the first two games of the series at home, even at four to two, I just said, this isn't going to happen. I just don't feel it. And then, you know, when it got to seven to two, eight to two, you know, I was like, well, no, it's just not. The other thing that's worth mentioning about Dusty that I didn't mention earlier, there is no competition now. Bruce Bochy is a much better manager than Dusty Baker. Bruce Bochy is a, a, a top-tier Hall of Fame manager. 
He has never lost a game seven. Dusty has never won a game seven in the playoffs. And Bruce Bochy, what he has done with this franchise, taking them, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast, but it's worth repeating. They had 100 losses. They had, what is it, 90 losses, 90-something losses yeah, last year. Pretty close. And, and to go all the way to the World Series. And, and that team just, they couldn't get anything together. We watched it, Stephen. They weren't even close to competing with the Astros the last couple of years. It wasn't like, oh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we just barely beat out the Rangers the last couple of years. Um, and and they added some pitching, but we yeah. also have to remember that pitching was hurt. Some oh, of those yeah. key arms. Yeah. We, and even, we didn't see, you know, we didn't see DeGrom. Max Scherzer wasn't Max Scherzer. So Syndergaard. Yeah. You didn't see Syndergaard. And, and yeah, even when they traded for Scherzer, you know, he, he pitched a couple of games and then he went out with the injuries and he did come back for the postseason. But yeah, you know, getting back to Bruce Bochy, just to emphasize that point, he is now the first manager in baseball history to take three different teams to an LCS. And you think about that. He did it with the Padres. He did it with the Giants. Now he's done it with the Rangers. So you can unequivocally say that Bruce Bochy is one of the best managers in baseball, period. Not just the fact that he's got a better record than Dusty in the postseason. And we have to mention Garcia because he was so much a part of this series and just an unreal night. I mean, he just keeps hitting around the Astros. And the only thing that I was really frustrated with as far as pitch selection tonight was uh, Hunter Brown threw a fastball on the outside that he had opposite field. And he was hitting opposite field home runs against the Astros all the time. And especially against fat, it was mostly fastballs that he was hitting against the Astros. You know, he got a base hit later in the game off of a curveball. But frankly, if he gets a curveball or he gets a slider or something like that and he does something with it, I'm fine. I just yeah. was not a big fan of giving a, a pitch that he can uh, really just, uh, you know, straight fastball outside. It gives him a chance to extend his arms. And, and he showed over and over again that when he when he did that, he was killing him. Yeah, when you see a lot of great hitters, if they can extend their arms on a pitch, it, they're going to hit it. And, yeah, that was disappointing. And I think that especially stung because of the fact that, you know, he was the reason that Brian Abreu got suspended. And thankfully, you know, if MLB got anything right, which they really didn't in this whole situation, it, at least they got it right to let him finish out the postseason and serve it next year. But, yeah, Garcia, I mean, you have to say he, he, came, uh, he came to play in this series like it or not, and just had an unbelievable night in Game 7. And even in Game 6, he struck out four times. And, yeah, his grand slam, it, it wasn't the difference in the game, but it certainly was an exclamation point. And I guess it set him up to come back in Game 7 and do it some more. Let me ask you this, Stephen, and I know this is a hard question, but how much money would you pay? What would be the most money that you would pay to bring Brantley back next year? What what did he make this? It was a one year deal this year, and I I don't remember what, eleven or twelve. I think eleven or twelve. This year. Well, I certainly wouldn't bring him back for more than that in a one year deal, despite the fact that you know I know his bat is is valuable, but you still have to think. You know he is older, and the injuries are are definitely cropping up. I mean, you didn't even get him. What did he play fifteen regular season games? I don't know so, how you can give a guy twelve million dollars. on the Yeah, that's what he, I'm saying. I don't he, think he, you can do he, that. He can't play back-to-back -back yet after 14 months. I, 
to me, if you could, I, to me, I wouldn't spend more than like two or $3 million. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him on that again this year. You, you've got to do it much less if you're going to bring him back at all, because not only that, I mean, if he does play a great deal, most of the time, he's probably going to be a DH and not a fielder. I, you know, he's played some, but I'm sure he will not if, if he comes back. So, no, I, I would not give him the same deal I gave him this year. And, you know, let's think about this. Hector Neris, he has a player option. It's doubtful that he's going to exercise it. So that means he's probably going to enter free agency. He's going to want big money. You're already paying Rafael Montero, you know, an ungodly sum. And he finally got it together toward the end. But, you know, are you are you wanting to pay Neris the kind of money he's probably going to be seeking? I don't know. You know, Phil Maton, he's going to be a free agent too. So Stanek, you definitely, I, I definitely don't think that Stanek is coming back. So yeah, I, I don't those see, are a lot of questions. See, I don't see Phil Maton getting a big, you you could get him if, on something that was low. I, he's not a back of the bullpen guy. So, no, you know, unless he asked for something exorbitant, you know, I think you could bring Phil Maton back at, at something very reasonable. Neris is is going to be difficult. There's a fine line yeah. of what are you willing to pay? You know, Dana is not going to do the dumb stuff like, you know, handing out $30 million like they did to right. Montero the, the last uh, offseason. Uh, Brian says uh, Rangers, Yankees, Red Sox, and I assume Brian means he would least like order. to lose to the Rangers and then yeah. the Yankees and then the Red Sox. I assume the, the Sox would be last. So he, he's saying – I think I'm with you, Brian. <laughs> He's saying it's easier to use, lose to the Yankees than the Rangers. So, I mean, I just, well, that's kind of what yeah. I said. I mean, we've, we've beaten the Yankees, you know, multiple times in the postseason. So, you know, they're going to be due for one. And yeah, it just wouldn't hurt as much to me as losing to the Rangers. Yeah, at this point, it wouldn't hurt as much. Yeah, because you've done the damage against them. And right now, there's just very little in the Rangers Astros postseason. There is nothing except this in the Rangers Astros postseason rivalry. So, I just. I don't know. I just don't like the Yankee fans a lot more than I don't like the yeah, I, I don't blame you. I'd, I'd certainly be with you there. But, you know, getting back to the, you know, Mayton and, and some of these others, really, he may be, out of those guys we just named, he may be the only one who does come back. I mean, realistically speaking. True, true. And, you know, then there's Maldonado. And, and, and that's yeah. another thing where I feel like Dusty and Dana Brown are going to have a big, heavy conversation. And, and he's going to say something like, all right. We can bring Maldi back, but I'm telling you right now, you know, and this is going to, you know, I know you're the, you're the manager and all this, but I'm telling you right now, we'll bring Maldi back. He's going to be the, the catching two games a week and that's it. And, yeah. if, and, and if that's an issue and if you start trying to play him more, then I'm trading him. I'm getting rid of him, you know, so, or, or I'm just releasing him, but I'm not letting you do that. And, you know, this isn't about, this is not necessarily just disrespect to Martin Maldonado. He's going to be 37 years old. And at some point, Yanner has to learn how to do the same things Molly does. And you can't learn it by sitting there in the dugout all the time. You know, if you think about it, it's pretty remarkable at his age that Martin Maldonado is catching as much as he is, Robert. You know, most catchers, I mean, that is a tough position when you're crouching by there, behind the plate game after game after game, you know, 100 games a year, playoffs, the whole thing. The fact that Martin Maldonado is 37, 
and catching as many games as he is. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, but yeah, come on. You you've got to you've got to get find out if Diaz is your guy or not. And you're not going to find out, you know, playing Maldonado 120, 130 games, whatever it was a year, for the most part. I think, you know, catcher is definitely something the Astros need to look at because even if you put Diaz behind the plate as your starter, you got to have another veteran, I think, in there to alternate and even put Diaz at some of the other positions like you would have done this year. Because I'm just not sure if, I'm not sure that he is ready, maybe from a hitting standpoint, but handling the pitchers, you know, that is a big deal. And you're talking about not just, you know, the Verlanders and, and those types of guys, but the guys like Fromber, who you just, you never know whether they're going to go off, get totally emotional and just get lit up. You know, you've got to handle all that stuff. And I'm not sure Yonder Diaz is quite ready for that, but you got to find out. And the only way to find out is to play him. The other thing that I, I think about and might be a subject of conversation is, you know, do you trade Kyle Tucker while he's got two years left in arbitration where you can get a lot back in this Astros farm system? We know it needs some work, but I, I think the thing, Stephen, that's going to prevent them from doing that is that they just gave away two of their best young outfield prospects. And this year, this next year, it might be the beginning of the end because, you know, no, no Altuve or Bregman potentially after this year and, 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 and no Verlander. So, you know, those three guys could all be gone at the end of this next coming year. So it might be the last time that you can make a run. And I hate to say it, but, you know, that's, that's where I am right now with this Astros team because, you know, they, they do what they do because of guys like Altuve and Bregman and Verlander and, and, yeah. and the leadership that those guys provide. And the other thing about it, Stephen, is it's just depth. You know, you could say, well, we still have Jordan and we still have Kyle Tucker. And, and, but there's, they make it so much easier depth wise over the course of a long season. And then what they do for you in the playoffs, as we know, is just beyond the beyond. And let's just remind everybody that it wasn't like uh, Altuve and Bregman weren't big in these playoffs. I mean, we know what Altuve did with the home run, but overall, he hit 295 with a 945 OPS. Yeah. Uh, and this is whatever, his 12th season. So let's not forget that. Alex Bregman, yeah, he only hit 220, but he had a 932 OPS. He had four homers, a triple, and a double. So he was getting it done, and uh, and and Altuve was getting it done. I'm sorry, Altuve, my mistake, 286 with a 906 OPS. The other number was Jose Abreu, 295 with a 945. So both of those, they were pretty pretty close in what they were doing, uh, the two Jose's. But yeah, Stephen, I mean, it, it's just, it's so important. So I, I don't see them trading Kyle Tucker. I, I don't think you're going to see it that soon. Certainly, you're certainly not going to see it over this winter. And I think a lot of it will just depend on you know, who will you get in free agency? You're going to bring in a quality outfielder and, you know, there may be one or two guys in your system that could possibly surprise you. But I think it also, it also depends. What do the Astros do next year record wise? You know, if, if there's not like not in the pennant race somehow by the trade deadline, then maybe you think about it, but you know, Robert, at some point, I think we all know this all goes in phases 
Altuve is going to be gone. Bregman's going to be gone. You know, it, these guys, the window always closes at some point. So it's all going to depend on when that starts to happen as to whether, okay, it's time to trade Kyle Tucker, get a couple of great prospects, hope they pan out in a couple of years, you know, do some things in free agency and try to at least hang in there. But it's going to be awfully difficult to do over the next couple of years. Yeah. And I, I, I'm trying to think of the other big picture questions, but, you know, while I'm trying to remember that, it's also important to note this, this doesn't hurt as much as it did in previous years because you're coming off a championship. The Texans look like a real NFL franchise again. And if you didn't li listen to it, go back and listen to our show a few days ago, me and Sean talking about the potential of the Texans in the playoffs, which is a very real potential. In fact, it's practically 50-50 now in Vegas. And it, it doesn't hurt as much because the Rockets look like they could be a real team once again. And by the way, we, we, we will have a Texans preview of the Carolina Panthers on Wednesday night with me and Sean. And we're going to also speak to a Panthers insider, get a little behind the scenes on that. But Stephen, yeah, this one doesn't sting quite as much. I, I wasn't as heartbroken because there's other stuff in Houston sports going on that's fun and exciting right now. Well, that's right. And, and I mean, doesn't it go back to what I just said about things going in phases? I mean, the Texans and the Rockets sucked over the last few years. The Astros were the team that were carrying the city of Houston. And listen, you know, they could still be winning for the next two or three years. For all we know, you know, all three teams could be in there. And that, that'd be a great thing, Robert. I mean, I, I'm certainly not giving up hope on that. I, I'm trying to think positive, but yeah, you're right. I, I think it, what stings the most is it was to the Rangers. If it had been any other team, I think, except maybe the Yankees or Red Sox, like you said, I, I think it, it, it would probably sting even less, but you are right. I mean, we, we had so much to be proud of, even this season with all the ups and downs. But you're coming off a World Series championship. You've been, you, you have two now. You've been to two World Series in a row. So it's not like you haven't gone up to the well and, and gotten water. So I think you're absolutely right about that. I will wrap things up. And I also, I just got to say thank you, everybody that's out there listening and watching to, to, to our watching our shows and a little patient with me because you might be able to tell over the last few months, it's been a little bit more of a struggle for me to talk. I have, uh, uh, have been recovering from my jaw surgery and I still don't have some feeling in my jaw and my lip. You'll see me at, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of stuff with my face and it's just me dealing with, it's all that stuff that I'm kind of dealing with. So I just want to thank everybody for being patient. I want to thank Stephen you know, once again, because he's been such an incredible partner over these last few years with the Astros post games. I'm trying to remember, we go back now, is this our, our fourth or fifth Astros post game together? Steve? Well, I, I believe it's our fifth. I, I came to you in the summer of 2019. So, you know, they, they were, yeah. So it'd be three, yeah, five in a row. That's right. We're, we're on a streak of our own, Robert. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we're, but, we'll keep doing this as long as the Astros, you know, my plan is to keep on as long as I've got a heartbeat, I'm going to keep mm -hmm. trying to put shows out and do stuff. And hopefully my jaw is going to recover a little bit better, make it easier for me to talk. Well, certainly. Um, we, we hope that too, Robert. And, you know, you've just, you've been an inspiration to so many people just hanging in the way you do. This show is, you're, you're, it's obvious you're passionate about this show and it, it shows, no pun intended, 
it shows every time out. And let me just say, I, I, I enjoy doing these. I mean, this is something I used to be a sports talk show host, but not in Houston, you know, my hometown. So I never got to talk a whole lot about the Astros or the Rockets or, I mean, the Texans weren't even around when I was in sports broadcasting. That's how long ago it was. So this is a dream for me that I get to talk a lot of Astros baseball and, you know, occasionally, you know, Texans and Rockets. So this is great for me. So I appreciate you letting me be here to talk Astros with you. And before we close, let me just say one thing. Keep your eyes on February 24th of 2024, because that will be the first spring training exhibition game against the Washington Nationals. And guess who the Astros are opening up with on March 28th, opening day at Minute Maid Park, the New York Yankees. How about that? Speaking of the Yankees, you get the Yankees not only at home, but it's opening day weekend. Yeah, that's nice. That's really cool. And Kyle, you know, for he put in his word and he says, go Diamondbacks. He, <laughs> he, he says he wants them to win the whole thing. And he truly believes Dusty will not be back next season. People will come to realize the good that Dusty brings to the table when he's gone. He's a good manager, more than a good manager. He's a great manager. Where, where is he and wins now? Stephen, he's probably what? Top eight, top eight. Yeah, all at least he, he's climbing up the ladder. Yeah. And like top eight, top seven now. So uh, again, thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you for commenting. Uh, throw some comments down in our other videos. Go check them out. If you like Houston sports history, I always recommend go to our Houston sports history playlist. And there are around 200 interviews that we've done over the years with legends in Houston sports history, Astros legends, Rockets. There's a, there's an Astros playlist just for Astros. If you're only an Astros fan, you can go to that. But Astros, Rockets, uh, there's a Texans playlist. There's an Oilers playlist, a Houston Cougars playlist. There's all of that. And, uh, you know, it just it's one of my favorite parts of what we've done over the years. And I hope everybody out there uh, gets to enjoy that a little bit and, and uh, keeps up with, you know, our, what's happened over the course of history and all the great things that have happened in Houston sports. Uh, not just these last Astros few years, but they, they've been spectacular for sure. Um, thanks again. And we will talk to you again, I believe, on Wednesday. Me and Sean will be talking Texans and other things. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.